Welcome to Crosswords, the podcast about practical Christianity. What does it look like to walk in Jesus' footsteps? How do I live in a culture hostile to godliness? These are questions that we'll answer on each podcast as we get our heart and mind on Jesus. All scriptures quoted are from the New International Version. You can follow me on Twitter at Kingdom underscore Saint. Walk with the Lord today and be a blessing. Good afternoon, everyone. It's a pleasure to be with you again on this first day of the week, coming to you from my comfortable office in Levittown, New York, through this medium that God has allowed us to set up. And you are in your homes, and we're all gathered together, connected by the Spirit of God, and most importantly, by the blood of Christ, which allowed us to have the Spirit of God. Together, we've all been baptized into one body so that we are now become the body of Christ. Today, I want to share with you the dependable promises of God. We're going to examine Psalm 91. This is a psalm that has no author uh, listed. There's no title to it, and we don't really know the occasion. But from this psalm comes some really nice songs that we have learned. Maybe you don't know some of them, but I was once part of the singing group and we did sing some songs that are derived from this psalm. So we're going to go through the psalm little by little, familiarize ourselves with it. First, let's talk about the content of the song. Here in verse 2 uh, or in verse uh, 1, we read, Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Wow, I love this. This is how one of the songs that I learned started out. It goes something like, He who dwells in the shadow of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. goes something like that. A very beautiful song I remember singing. And this speaks to the general safety of those who put their trust in God. Next we go to verse 2 that will respond. It's like a responsive declaration of the author of the psalm saying, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in him I do trust. So we see that declaration that he is going to make the Lord his refuge. He's not going to be a victim of fear or of bullying or of anything else. He is going to make the most high his habitation. Then we come across uh, verses four through, uh, sorry, uh, verses three through eight. We're going to take them in couples. This verse will say, surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. The fowler were those who hunted birds or fowl, and sometimes they would put many snares where people could not see them. They were hidden in the grass, and uh, so this is like kind of like an analogy to how God saves us from traps or snares that we can't see, and from deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. 
His faithfulness will be your shield and your rampart. We continue with verses 5 and 6, which say, You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence. Second time he mentions pestilence. That stalks in the darkness, being because there's pestilence that we cannot see, disease that we cannot really cover ourselves from, nor plagues that destroy at midday. Uh, now we see 7 and 8, which says, and this is part of another song. I don't know if many of us are familiar with it. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. So verses 3 through 8 are like a statement of the security or benefits of putting our trust in the Lord. We're going to see in verse 9, uh, if you say the Lord is my refuge and you make the most higher dwelling. So this verse 9 is another responsive declaration by the author uh, saying that if you do this, if you do put God as your refuge, if you trust in him, then you're going to see further benefits listed here in verses 10 through 13. No harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample on the great lion and the serpent. So this is a, a, a statement of the benefits that we get from the Lord. In verses 14 through 16, we read, because he loves me. Now, this is God saying this. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him. For he acknowledges my name. He will call on me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. So this is a general declaration, embracing the sum of all that is said in this song, but coming from God himself, containing the assurances of his protection to those who put their trust in the Lord, who confide in him, who make the Lord their refuge. So we see eight promises given by God in these three verses at the end of the song. And these are the reasons why we do not have to fear. He says again, because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him for he acknowledges by name. He will call on me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him with long life. I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. So now that we've read the whole psalm, I'm going to share with you three things about Psalm 91. The first thing is that God's promises are dependable and trustworthy. The second thing will be, what are the qualifications to be a recipient 
of these blessings and the salvation that God promises at the end of the psalm. And in part three, we are going to identify eight promises from God shared in this psalm. So let's go back to the first. God's promises are dependable and trustworthy. How do we know that? Well, here in Genesis 9, 13, uh, this is one of the first promises God gave. He gave it to Noah and the inhabitants of the world at that time. And this is a promise that is even visible today. It's a rainbow. He said, I have set my rainbow in the clouds. It will be the sign of a covenant between me and the earth. God is really big on giving us signs because he knows that our faith needs that. We have very limited faith. We tend to be very stubborn. So God gives us signs visible, tangible, just like the rainbow. So the rainbow is the first promise that God gave us, and it's a promise that still holds today. Next, uh, God gave Abraham a promise in Genesis 12, verse 2 and 3. He told Abraham, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. And what God promised, he was able to do. You know, he's been able to bless everybody because Abraham obeyed him. That's how we, the whole uh, Old Testament, Moses and all the other people that came from Abraham, even Jesus himself, because Abraham, Abraham is the patriarch of our faith. We are able to now live in the blessings of the new covenant because Abraham obeyed. So God did bless him, and he blessed us all through him. We see another promise here in Deuteronomy 27, 3. Uh, this is God speaking to the Israelites. When you have crossed over to enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Now we know that that was a promise that God made good on as well. He promised this and he was able to lead all the Israelites into the land of Canaan and they established themselves very well there. They were able to conquer all those who stood in their way and God made the nation strong. And from that nation, he promised a Messiah. He promised to deliver us and not just the Israelites, but the whole world a Messiah who would triumph over the two greatest obstacles that mankind faces, that is sin and death, as we see here in Romans 5, 17. For if by the trespass of one man, talking about Adam, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundance provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in the life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Now, the fact that Jesus triumphed over sin and death, again, makes sure that this promise was fulfilled. And again, tangible evidence was given to us, what we call the gospel, Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, because God is big on tangible signs. And so we have the assurance, like it says here in 1 John 2.25, 
of everlasting life. This is a promise that God gave. This is what he promised us, everlasting life. And we can be sure that we have that in Jesus Christ. Now, God's promises extends even to those who may not believe him, those who don't even love him or those who don't even acknowledge him. We call this the providence of God, as we see here in Matthew 5, 45, he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. God gives provision to those people who don't even want to know about him, who don't even acknowledge him, kind of like what the parable of the prodigal son shows. Uh, the prodigal son in Luke 15, 11 through 32 uh, illustrates how God provides for those who don't even want them in their life. As we see here in John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God did this. He gave his son. While we were yet sinners, the Bible says, Christ died for us. Here we see it again in Romans 5.8. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. God is big on signs. He demonstrated it through the death of Christ on the cross while we were yet sinners. And uh, one of my favorite passages that shows the providence and the benevolence of God, Acts 17, 26, 27. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their land. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. This shows how much God cares, how involved he wants to be in your life, how he's seeking you out, arranging things within your timeline, within the boundaries of where you live, causing things to happen because he wants you to seek him out. This is God's providence, God's gentleness. The parable of the prodigal son in Luke 15, 11 through 32, also illustrates how God provides for those who don't want him in their lives, just like his young son wanted the inheritance. <laughs> Usually you have to wait for somebody to die to get the inheritance, but he wanted his father's inheritance right then and there. He didn't really care for his father because all he was focused on is going into the world and trying to live life according to him. Uh, and the father there is God. And God said, okay, you know, here it is, shows the providence of God. However, we have to make a distinction here as the Psalm does, as Psalm 91 does, and that only the spiritual blessings of Christ are for those who believe and who obey, as shown here in Ephesians 1, 3, where Paul writes to the Ephesians saying, God has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So that brings us to the second part of this exposition of Psalm 91. There are qualifications needed to be a participant or a recipient of these blessings and the salvation from God. Even though God does provide for the unrighteous and the righteous alike in this physical realm, and even though God desires for everybody to live a great and fulfilling life, to live a life with joy, 
He provides them all that they have, even if they don't acknowledge him or believe in him, just like he did for the prodigal son. There are certain things that only those who seek God and seek him as his refuge and acknowledge him are able to receive. Notice how in verse 14, uh, the psalm says, because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him uh, from, uh, from everything. I will protect him for he, acknowledges, for he acknowledges my name. So because he loves me. So the question is, how do we love God? How do we show that we love God and that we acknowledge God? How do we do that? Well, we see here, we have to accept the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have to accept the tangible evidence of his love that he has demonstrated for us. This is in the gospel. In this gospel, we see the three tangible proofs that Jesus Christ is the evidence of the love of God, the love of God for all of us. He gave his son as an atonement for our sin in order, in order to make us able take these blessings, because as sinners, we were not able to participate in a relationship with God, but he provided his son as an atonement for our sins so that we could acknowledge God, so that we could have fellowship with God, so we could seek him and take our refuge in him. Jesus was buried as a demonstration that he literally sacrificed his life, and he was raised from the dead to show us that he did conquer sin, and death. So we have to accept that gospel. That's the first thing. The second thing, as we see here, is our initial obedience. How do we make this gospel us? How do we own these promises of God? Because somebody can believe in God and even accept that Jesus Christ died on the cross. But there's something that we need to do. We have to show God that we're serious about this. And this comes from us. If we believe these things, we need to be baptized and join Jesus. This is how the scriptures teach that we join Christ. In other words, uh, Paul in Romans 6, 3, and 4, and in Colossians 2, 11, and 12, describes it as a joining with Christ when we get baptized. It's kind of like saying yes to the promises, I want in. So we get baptized as our first demonstration of obedience, our first sign of real faith, we take that baptism. And then, of course, we need to continue to obey daily, as the scriptures say. It wasn't, that was just the first time. Baptism is the first step that we take in our faith, but we need to continue walking in the light, as it says in 1 John 1, 7, as a sign of our daily obedience, walk in the light as he is in the light for the blood of Christ, as the passage says, to cover us from sin. So this important covering that we have of the blood of Christ is what enables us to come before God, to enjoy his fellowship, to trust in him, to seek him as our refuge. And it makes us recipients of these promises that God gives, which we will list in just a moment. But it's not just our daily obedience, right? Uh, the fourth point in qualifying 
for the blessings of salvation is that we need enduring obedience, as Revelation chapter 2, verse 10 says. Uh, it says, be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. That's what enduring obedience is all about. Even in the face of panic, even in the face of fear, even in the face of doubt, our obedience needs to endure. Next, we see here in the third part, how God blesses those who set their love upon him. We see eight promises given in these verses. Uh, we see God saying, because he loves me, I will rescue him. That's the first promise. I will rescue him. That means I will deliver him. I will cause him to be able to escape. You know, you've heard the saying, no one gets out of this life alive, right? We all have to die at some point, but not for those who put their trust in God. We are getting out of this, not just alive, but we're going to thrive in life 2.0. That's what Jesus' resurrection was all about, demonstrating us that he triumphed over sin and death. He was raised from the dead to die no more, as Paul says in Romans chapter 6. So we will be delivered eventually. This is not just promises speaking of the here and now in this physical realm, but these promises have enduring impact. We will escape alive. The second thing he says here is, I will protect him. This is God guaranteeing us protection. He's going to set us on a high place. That's what that means. Yeah, when, when you experience a deluge, right, a flood, uh, and the waters rise up, uh, the Hebrew idea here of protection means setting you up on a high place where no harm can touch you. Guess how, how God does that? Well, he does that in Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ, in his church, we are in a high place. Indeed, nothing physical here can harm us. They may harm our bodies. Yeah, they may harm our emotions and our mind. But they're not going to harm the life that we have in Christ. Because remember, part of being a Christian, that initial step of obedience, is to die with Christ, be buried with him in baptism. And we are raised to a new life. So the fact that we've participated in baptism means we've already put aside this physical body. We don't identify with it anymore. As a matter of fact, Paul describes it as a circumcision in Colossians 2, 11 and 12, that Christ has cut off that flesh that made us slaves so that it's not our life or nor our identity anymore. We are protected. The third promise is here. I love this one. Verse 15, uh, God says, he will call me and I will answer. What a privilege to have a promise that God responds to us, the creator of the whole universe, the God who made the heavens and the earth answers us. We call on him and he answers us to have this kind of intimate relationship certainly required an atoning sacrifice that could deliver us from sin. And we have that in Christ, which is why now we enjoy that privilege of coming before the throne of God, that confidence to come before God and speak to him and call on him. And he answers. What an amazing 
privilege. The fourth promise that we see here is that God says, I will be with him in trouble. Now, this is interesting. Notice he knows that we're going to have trouble in this life. (laughs) Of course, David talks about it in Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. We're going to have trouble here. You know, this is the valley of the shadow of death on this side. We have pestilence. We have all kinds of things that are mentioned, traps, snares, as we saw in the in this psalm. But this promise is that God is going to be with us through that trouble. Notice he doesn't necessarily say he's going to keep that trouble away from us. Like Jesus said, in this life, you will have many trouble, but I will give you peace. That's the promise Jesus gave. Jesus didn't promise to put us in a bubble. The church is not meant to be a bubble from physical challenges that we face in this world. It's meant to be a spiritual bubble. Yes, that it is meant to be. So we have to learn to distinguish that. God is going to be with us in trouble, in afflictions, in distress. He promises us that. But then he does say, I will deliver him and honor him. Here we have promise number five, I will deliver him. And promise number six, I will honor him. Promise number five, I will deliver him. That also means it carries the idea of rescue and safety. Again, talking about the safety of the church. The church is like Noah's ark. It's carrying us through this troubled water, through this valley of the shadow of death. That's our protection. That's how God delivers us, okay? We are delivered. We're brought into safety in God's kingdom. That's our safety. And in God's kingdom, we are honored because we're made to be part of the body of Christ. It's an honor worth more than riches uh, or anything else because it's an eternal honor with an inheritance, as Peter says, that will never perish, spoil, or fade. In promise number seven, he says, with long life, I will satisfy him with long life. (laughs) How long is eternal life? (laughs) That is long indeed, but not just eternal life. I believe this also talks about the abundance we enjoy in this temporary journey. We might be materially lacking in many, many areas, but remember those who are in Christ are blessed with every spiritual blessing. We have more than enough here, as Paul also says, we, are, we abound in good works. We're richly prepared for good works by the word of the Lord. So we have abundance in this temporary journey. And then after that, We have eternal life and riches that we can't wrap our heads around at this point, maybe never, to enjoy forever. And then the last promise we see here is, I will satisfy, I will show him my salvation. Salvation here carries the idea, not just of deliverance, but also victory. We have the victory, the Bible says in Jesus Christ, because Jesus has been victorious over sin and death, and in him, we are victorious. We are guaranteed this salvation. This is a promise that we can trust from the Lord. So this is the conclusion of the psalm, that God is going to show us his salvation. You know, being in the world 
tends to blind us to the promises of God. The prodigal son only enjoyed a limited inheritance, even though his father gave him his inheritance. Uh, he squandered it right away, and we tend to do that. If we follow the flesh, we're going to even squander the good things God wants us to have here. God may bless you with some pleasure in this life, but guaranteed you will squander it. It is limited. You know, even though somebody may have accumulated a lot of riches, they're in their limited life when death comes. They won't be able to enjoy it after that, not these riches anyway. And if they haven't claimed the riches of Christ, they will have nothing at all. Even what they have will be taken away as the parable of the talents say. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8 says, Physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both this life and the life to come. It shows us that God's blessings, God's promises, hold more value even than our physical training. Now, right now during the pandemic and most of the other time, people tend to focus just on the physical things, right? They focus on the physical health and they have uh, no clue or acceptance that human beings are not just physical beings. We are spiritual beings. We are moral beings. And if we don't pay attention to our spiritual and our moral part of ourselves, we are going to fail terribly as people. We're not going to be satisfied. We're just going to experience a big black hole in our heart. And we're going to yearn for things. And sometimes we're going to look to the material to fulfill that. That's not going to happen. That's not going to give you any fulfillment. We are spirits in a material world. We are souls destined for eternity going through a limited physical existence at the moment. So we need to make sure we claim these promises of God, that we believe, that we join Christ, that we start this spiritual journey and continue it, because that is the most important aspect of being a human being. As David said in Psalm 27, verse 4, one thing I ask from the Lord, he said, one thing do I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and seek him in his temple. This is the kind of relationship that blesses you forever. And in view of this, of this focus, you will enjoy not only a great life, a great physical life here, which is not the point, by the way, of living life, uh, but that we will enjoy a life forever, an eternal life to be forever with God. Even though we see <clears throat> and experience pestilence right now, we may even be caught in traps and terrors as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But our spiritual inheritance, though, is unaffected, and all his promises are still true. Uh, we've prayed for many people. Uh, I, I remember praying for my mother-in-law when she was sick to be healed. We pray for people to be healed. And sometimes when they're not healed and when they pass away, we think that God didn't hear us. But no, he did. All our prayers were answered in Christ. The fact that they're in heaven means they got the healing, thorough and complete 
healing much better than we could imagine. The people who have gone before us to paradise, they've reached the goal of their faith, as we anticipate to do as well. There are others who are not in Christ, though, who may not meet this end. And that's why we right now we need to really struggle in prayer and in ministry for them. When we pray for them, we want to pray that they may embrace these promises because God doesn't lie. And they will, in heaven, they will reach the goal of every single prayer that they asked. But they need to make a choice. Just like uh, the prodigal son, he needed to make a choice. He let his father go. Uh, but he reached rock bottom, and when he reached rock bottom, he kind of woke up to his senses. So we're praying that people wake up to the fact that they need to claim the promises of God and realize this. Acts chapter 17, verse 27 may seem to suggest that that's a, what God is exactly doing at this time with every single person on this planet. Jesus said, my father is always at work, and so am I, and I believe that that's God at work. He's working in everybody's lives to get them to seek him out, though he is not far. We can help by also being busy at work in the Father's kingdom, praying, interceding, serving, sharing the gospel, and reminding everybody that God's promises are true. God bless you. Thank you very much for listening. I hope the Lord gave you insight into conforming to Jesus with today's message. I always appreciate feedback. You can send me your thoughts, musings, and comments directly through the Anchor app. You can also contact me on Twitter at Kingdom underscore Saint. Walk with the Lord today and be a blessing.